What's up gamers? Welcome to Level 99 RPG Talk. As always, I am your host, Philip. Remember, this is your RPG podcast brought to you by Vault RPG that releases each and every Thursday. And it's the show where I dive deep into the greatest genre in gaming. This week, we are talking about a bunch of Switch RPG news. The fact that I finished Blossom Tales and also a special game that I'm very excited to talk about. But first, let's start this episode off with a bang and run through this week's hot take. It's limit break time. Limit break. Let's just be okay with clones, everyone. I'm serious. Can we just all agree to be fine with game developers who are passionate for classic games creating titles that many of us would label as clones. Allow me to elaborate. Over the weekend, I finished Blossom Tales, a game that obviously invites comparisons to classic Legend of Zelda titles, and for good reason. It looks and feels pretty darn close to those games. Even the developers themselves are fine with admitting the sources of their inspiration. Recently, a couple of the Blossom Tales developers visited the Switch RPG Discord for an Ask Me Anything, and they were quite clear in listing all of the games, movies, and other forms of source material for their adorable indie adventure. Let me be clear, I really, really, really loved this game. It was short, and honestly, I would have taken more of it in a heartbeat. I still have some optional content to complete, but it was a delight to play. What really stood out to me though Despite its obvious loan of classic themes and world building and visual presentation was its heart. It's a game made by truly passionate individuals who hold a specific era of gaming in high regard. They have so much respect for those cornerstone experiences of the genre, and they made a modern title that shows that level of love. Yes, some may say Blossom Tales is a clone but it's a clone in all the positive senses of the term. While referential, it has its own heart, its own pulse, and its own identity. It's not a worthless cash grab, it's a love letter. And it's worth both being made and being played. And here's my point. I want to live in a world where we celebrate these calls to the past instead of discouraging them. I want to live in a world where games not only look back, but build upon and improve those experiences. I don't just love Blossom Tales for taking me back to old Zelda games. I appreciate it for bringing those Zelda games into 2018. It's on a system I adore, it runs incredibly well, looks gorgeous, and includes conveniences I'm used to as a modern gamer. And to be honest, I want other developers to feel free to do this for other games as well. Want to know why? Because in many cases, the actual developers of those classic legendary games aren't making experiences like that anymore. Look at the Final Fantasy series. Square Enix just isn't making games that take me back to Final Fantasy 4 or 6. Don't get me wrong, I like a lot of what Square Enix makes now, but a lot of it just isn't the same. 
And if you look at two of their recent attempts to take players back to Chrono Trigger, Square itself is finding it hard to successfully accomplish. First, the Tokyo RPG Factory. With I Am Setsuna and Lost Sphere, they've crafted experiences that are obvious attempts to return players to worlds that conjure memories of the good old days. While I enjoyed them, many players, especially especially devoted lovers of Chrono Trigger, just don't feel satisfied. The level of depth and grandeur just isn't there yet. Personally, I'm excited at what the studio could eventually make, but even I admit that their efforts so far don't come near the mark. Second, the recent Chrono Trigger port. Almost universally, players have taken issue with Square Enix's attempt to bring Chrono Trigger to modern audiences. And if we're being honest, Square's ports across the board have been admittedly lackluster. And that's trying to bring those exact titles in the present, not even crafting new experiences that just reference their older works. So if the actual developers can't even give us games that scratch the itch of classic titles, why should we take issue when devoted lovers of those games attempt to scratch that itch for us? And look, I know not all of these attempts to create good clones are going to work. Some of them are going to fall short. Some of them are going to be cheap remakes done without the level of care and love needed. Some of them are even going to be thinly veiled cash grabs. But you know what? We're already getting all of that from the actual developers themselves in many cases. So I personally am totally okay with giving someone else a chance. If it produces more Blossom Tales, I'm all for it. I'm actually super hyped thinking about the potential of a small studio creating a game that faithfully conjures feelings and memories of Final Fantasy VI for me. Can you even imagine? It could be modern, readily accessible, and show that legendary title the respect it deserves and honestly hasn't been getting. I would get behind a game like that in a heartbeat. So at the end of the day, I'm just asking us all to be supportive of men and women out there attempting to accurately recreate or quote-unquote clone the past. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm all for innovation, but I'm also all for preservation. Preserving those memories by injecting them into new modern experiences. If you have to call them clones, by all means do so. And call me a Sith Lord as well. And on that really bad Star Wars joke, that's going to end your limit break for this week. But I want to hear from you. Remember, you can tweet at me at Vault RPG. Let me know what you think. Are you a fan of clones? Are you not? Are you a fan of good clones? Or are all clones bad in your opinion? Let me know what you think. Let's move on to the noteworthy weekly news roundup. And we got a lot of Switch stuff. Um, I promise this isn't turning into a Switch RPG podcast. And on that note, a quick 
piece of news coming to you from switchrpg.com and that is the website uh, the database for switch rpgs is actually getting its podcast a podcast of its own how do i know this well because i am hosting the podcast yes that's right uh, it will not uh, conflict with level 99 at all this is a project that I'm going to continue to keep going. It will continue to come out on Thursdays, but the Switch RPG podcast is something that I have the opportunity to do for a community that I really believe in. I've been a moderator on there basically since the beginning of the website, and uh, I'm super excited to be able to bring a new element, a new layer to that community. I know that we're going to be able to do really, really awesome things uh, my co-host, his name is Gio. Uh, he is C Monkey Stew in the Switch RPG Discord. We are both super pumped, and we've already had uh, several conversations about our plans for the show. And we are planning on firing it up. Our first episode will be out April the, I believe it's the fifth. But you can go to switchrpg.com and check out the announcement that was made on there earlier. It's got all the details. So yeah, that is a quick, uh, quick update from switchrpg.com. Now let's move on to RP Gamer, uh, where our first three new, first three news stories are coming from. The first is that uh, Yonder, the Cloud Catcher Chronicles, is coming to Switch. This is something that I feel like we've known for a little while. Uh, it's been in the RP, the Switch RPG database for several weeks, but there was a, an official announcement trailer. I believe it was last week. Um, so, uh, the story from RP Gamer it goes as follows. Developer Prideful Sloth has announced that its open world adventure, Yonder the Cloudcatcher Chronicles, will be released for Nintendo Switch. The Switch version will include a brand new photo mode and is set to be released sometime in 2018. It will be available both digitally at $29.99 and in a physical retail version priced at $39. 99. There's also a trailer embedded in the article on RP Gamer. So if you want to watch that, go check it out. This is a game that looks fairly interesting. I think I've even talked about it on the show before. This is something that I might pick up. Um, it seems a little it seems a little Zelda-ish to me. A little Zelda-ish. Maybe it has um, a little bit more sim like features to it um but it has a neat cartoon aesthetic um something that i may or may not pick up we'll see moving on once again also from rpgamer.com uh yakuza 6 demo has been re-released back into the wild um if you'll remember the demo was originally released and then taken down because Apparently, you could access the full version. Um, RP Gamer, the article from RP Gamer says Sega has re released its free PlayStation 4 demo version for Yakuza 6, the Song of Life on the PlayStation Store. The demo, the demo was initially released in February, but was removed following an issue that allowed North American players to access the full game. The demo will let players carry over their progress into the main game, 
though many tro though any trophies unlocked in the demo will need to be re-earned in the full game. Still, I think uh, that this is a really, really uh, neat thing that you can play the demo and then carry the progress over. If you'll remember several weeks ago, I did a, I believe it was a limit break on that. Uh, the idea that demos across the board, I feel like should be allowing you to carry over your save data, right? As a gamer today, there's so much going on. I've got so much to play. Uh, I, I personally don't have time to jump into a demo unless I think that I will truly, truly, truly love the game. I don't really have time to jump into a demo that I'm then going to have to replay later when the game actually releases. So I think it's really neat that you can jump in, go ahead and get uh, a bit of it played and then carry over that save data. So if you're interested in that, go over to the PlayStation Store and check out the uh, Yakuza 6 demo. Last story from RP Gamer is that East 8 has a Western release date. The article says, NIS America has announced that East 8 Lacrimosa of Dana's Switch version will release in North America and Europe in the same week as Japan. The game will be available for the system in North America on June the 26th, 2018, with the European release following on June the 29th, 2018. The Japanese date is June the 28th, 2018. The latest title in the Neon Falcom's long-running action RPG series, East 8 Lacrimosa of Dana, was initially released in North America and Europe for PlayStation 4 and PlayStation Vita in 2017, with an updated localization released via patch in January 2018. A PC release is also planned, but has suffered various delays with Western publisher uh, NIS America last stating that it hopes to release the PC version in April 2018. The PC and Switch versions will feature the same content as the PlayStation 4 version of the game, along with the updated localization. So yeah, um, there's also a trailer embedded in the article on RP Gamer, so go over and check it out, watch it, and get hyped for East 8. Coming to the Switch in the West, June 26, 2018, Europe, June 29, 2018, Japan, 20, 28th of June. Moving on, this coming from jamatsu.com and was actually announced during the Nindies Showcase, which was on Tuesday? Yes, which was on Tuesday. Couple of RPGs uh, coming out of that, and we'll talk about those now. Um, the first is the stick figure RPG West of Loathing is coming to the Switch. Uh, the developers pitched this as a system exclusive and is coming this spring. It has already been announced for PC, Mac, Linux, and iOS. Comes from developer Asymmetric and it will cost $11, which is a very low cost of entry. And this game looks very unique. Very, very unique. You seriously just have to see it. 
You just have to see it. It's like completely hand-drawn, literal stick figures. It looks like a mix of a a kid's drawing and like South Parkish, uh, like the way that the backgrounds are. Um, let's look at a couple of features. It says that it has a sprawling open world, quests, puzzles, and mysterious and mysteries galore. Dozens of NPCs and hundreds of enemies, nearly a hundred unique locations, thousands of jokes, gags, and goofs, liberal use of the Oxford comma, lush, hand-drawn, black-and-white graphics, crunchy, turn-based combat, but only if you want, over 60 hats, disreputable saloons, several gulches, and a drunken horse. And then you can watch the trailer. It is also in the article over at Jamasi.com. I am definitely, definitely picking this game up. I I was actually talking to um, someone in the Switch RPG Discord earlier today. They said uh, to pick the title up, uh, to get past the, the, the art style, because the writing is fantastic. Well, that was great news for me because I love great writing in games and the art style is actually what drew me into this game in the first place. I love hand-drawn stuff. I love hand-painted stuff. Um, I love things that just don't look like everything else. So this was really speaking to me. You need to go check it out and see if it will speak to you as well. On to the next uh, news story once again. Um, another RPG that was announced during the Nindies showcase. This coming to you from RPGsite.net. The article goes It was announced during the Nindies summer presentation that the Banner Saga 3 is heading to the Nintendo Switch with a release date slated for summer 2018. The final title of the Tactical Trilogy. Banner Saga 3 will see the conclusion of the plot that began with the first two titles. Of course, savvy gamers might notice a problem with this. Without the first two games on the console, Switch owners will have difficulty enjoying the resolution to the trilogy. Thankfully, developers Stoic understand this dilemma and will also be releasing the first two Banner Saga titles on the Switch. These two games did not get a release date during the Nundies Showcase, but it's implied that they'll be released ahead of the Banner Saga 3. For a quick recap, the Banner Saga titles are story-driven strategy RPGs that force difficult and lasting decisions on the player. Characters can fall and die permanently in battle, and the choices that are made will have consequences. Everything the player decides on in the original title transfers onto the Banner Saga 2, and these two games' choices and consequences move forward to the third and final game. The most striking feature of the series, though, is the hand-drawn 2D art. The Banner Saga 3 is set to release this summer on PC, Nintendo Switch, Xbox One, and PlayStation 4. The Banner Saga 1 and 2 will release on Nintendo Switch at some point this year. Once again, that's from RPGSite.net. A great write-up. This game looks amazing. I cannot wait to get into this series on the Switch on the go. Talking about choices that matter. Talking about wonderful art. Talking about difficult combat. Tactical strategy at its best. I'm so excited to have this. The aesthetic, the sound, 
the, the, the story, this is the perfect package. I cannot stress to you how excited I am to get these games on the go. Last news story coming to you also from RPGsite.net, and that is that a, a new Fallen Legion Rise to Glory trailer has been released, and it introduces one of the sides in the conflict. The write-up on RPGsite.net says, Fallen Legion Rise to Glory is set to release this May or June in Europe on the Nintendo Switch and brings together the two Fallen Legion titles in one place, for the definitive experience, Fallen Legion Sins of an Empire follows one half of the struggle for Phenumia fin- with the rightful heir to the throne, while Fallen Legion Flames of Rebellion follows the group trying to usurp rule. NIS America has released a new trailer for this collection, this time focusing in on the rebellion. You can check out the trailer below, and there is the video embedded in the article at RPGsite.net, so go check it out. Let me know, is this a title that you're going to pick up? I was watching gameplay of it uh, earlier this week. I'm highly interested, uh, not only in the actual gameplay, but also potentially in the story. Um, NIS America can be sort of hit or miss. Um and I'm hoping that this is a hit. I'm hoping this is a hit. Uh, didn't didn't Fire Emblem do something similar to this with the with the two sides recently? Didn't they do that right? So like you you can buy one, like, yeah, buy one and it's one you know one storyline, and then you buy the other and it's and it's the other faction, something like that. I don't, I'm not trying to like just you know spit things I don't know, but that seems familiar to me. Yeah, and I, I haven't jumped into it, so this seems like a good time to jump in because it's the definitive version with both uh, with both sides of the conflict already compiled into one to one title. All right, so that wraps up the news for this week. Now I'm going to give you a quick update on what games I've been playing. Uh, it's been a lighter week for me uh, with games. Part of that is because I really, uh, th- I really wanted to focus on a couple of games and try to finish them. And then the other reason is because I've been playing way too much Fortnite Battle Royale. So yeah. First off, um, I played Blossom Tales. As I said in the limit break, um, I finished the game. And I'm sure by listening to the limit break, you got a feel for my thoughts on the game. I'm actually reviewing it for switchrpg.com. So my extremely detailed written thoughts, you'll be able to find that there uh, sometime soon. I'm in the middle of the review uh, as I'm recording this. So I should have that done in in the next uh, day or two. Uh, But yeah, no, absolutely fantastic game. Um, There's so many things that I liked about it, you know, from the music to just how the game felt. It felt so, it felt so grounded. And and I'll say this, uh, because in my review, both on here and on um, Switch RPG, I talked about in my review of uh, the Revenant Saga. Yeah, Revenant Saga. I talked about how airy that game felt, and like it didn't even feel like your sprite was on the actual map. It just it felt too floaty. 
this is a game that feels so grounded. Whenever you start running as Lily, that you can feel the traction, you feel the kinetic friction, right? So like it just feels so grounded. And when you hit things, it is so well connected with the rumble, right? With the rumble that uh, you get that little vibrate every time you hit something and it's just, it's just perfect. Like it, it just goes really well together. And honestly, I played some of it without even the sound on and it, cause I didn't really need to, because like they use the rumble in the joy cons so well that you just all, you just have a, a sense like, you know, what's going on at all times. So um, that's not to take away from the sound of the game because the sound is fantastic. I love the music. The soundtrack is amazing. You can find it on Spotify. I highly suggest you go check it out. Uh, it's great. And uh, I'll have a more detailed look at the game, like I said, and coming soon. Uh, second game that I played is I played more Macabre. I talked about this game last week. And actually, as I was recording, uh, made the decision to talk about it in detail this week. So I tried to finish it, did not quite finish it, but I am a long ways into the game. It's not too long of a game, um, but I, I'm almost done with it. And uh, I do, in fact, have enough things to talk about. I've actually been sort of uh, I'm sitting on this information for, for a while, and I'm, I'm sort of bursting to talk about it. And that's actually what we're going to talk about in our deep dive today. Um, so without further ado, let us jump into this week's game deep dive and let's look at Macabre. Now, I do want to be completely transparent here, 100% transparent. Um, so this is a game that was made by one of the other moderators in the Switch RPG community. And I only tell you that because uh, he's a good friend of mine and... Uh, and, and so I just want you to, to know that, right? Um, now that doesn't really sway anything that I'm going to say because I, I say what I want, right? I have, I have my own opinions. I, I drew my own opinions of the game, but just so like, I mean, you can take my opinion with a grain of salt. I suggest you go pick up the game yourself and, and form your own opinion. Uh, but I just wanted to let you know so that you can trust me when I say, that all of these uh, opinions are my own and in no way uh, swayed by the fact that it was made by one of the other mods in the community that I'm a mod in. So you can pick this game up on Steam for a dollar, I believe. Uh, and if you ask me, it's worth a little bit more than that. Um, there are so many good things to talk about. And I actually want to talk, I want to, I want to start off by, by, by just talking about a couple of things, um, that I would consider negatives. Um, I've got them as pros and cons on my, my show notes. Um, and I, and I only, I want to talk about this once again, to sort of bring some credibility to my praise that I, I'm going to focus on because I don't want you to just think like I'm just, you know, shouting praises. This guy. So here's here's a couple of things. There's going to be no spoilers, but I do want to just talk about a lot of a lot of the details of the game and maybe persuade you to pick it up and try it out. So a couple of cons that I ran into. Uh, first off, the window size. 
Um, I didn't really have a, a trouble with this on my on my uh, Windows PC because I could maximize the the window, but there's no like um, at least that I found there's no uh, full screen option, and so um, you're playing you're playing in in a window that's that's fairly smallish, um, and like I said on my Windows PC. I could I could um, I could maximize the window and I would still see the window border, but I could maximize it on my Mac. I couldn't figure out how to do that. That may be total user error. So take this con with a grain of salt. Um, so, but whenever I'm playing on my Mac, it is a smaller window. In the actual game, there are a couple of things in the UI that uh, my really bad eyes had had a hard time seeing specifically like when you're in combat, um, there is an ATB system. Um, so there, you know, there's the bar on the character's, uh, sort of nameplate at the top left and it, and it fills up to indicate when their turn will, will, will happen. And, um, I found especially, uh, in outdoors, uh, because the sky is a similar blue as the bar is, it was harder for me to see. Uh, but then again, I do have really bad eyes. So that was something though. Uh, I mean, it's not, uh, it's not a, it's not a game breaker, right? Like you, you always know when your character's turn is because everything stops and like your menu pops up and everything. So not a game breaker at all. It, it was just, I, I had a hard time seeing it. Um, and then lastly, um, the lack of control options, there is, the default controls uh, when you're using the keyboard, uh, you use the right, you know, the right set of arrows to move around. And then you can use the enter key or the space key to uh, select and then the escape key to go back. Um, I would have liked maybe some to be able to key bind it or have a couple of other options. I'm just so used to WASD to move around on a keyboard. So it took a little bit of getting used to um, using the arrows. Uh, but other than that, I mean, those are pretty, pretty darn minor things, right? Let's talk about. But there they are. So now let's move on to the the game, uh, the game as a whole. And I'll be talking about some things that I really, really like. And uh, some things that are in it that I, I haven't really seen in other, other RPGs before. All right, so uh, quick synopsis: You got your main character Fred, uh, who washes up on a shore after an earthquake that really decimates the world. Um, and so the game is all about uh, individuals living and reacting to sort of that world-shaking event. Um, and it, and the game does a really interesting job of showing some different perspectives and different races dealing with this uh with this catastrophe um and you play the game through fred's eyes and one thing that i really like is the unique uh the unique style uh some of the characters are just really out there and and goofy but in a really lovable way um first off you see you know fred with his big hair and um, I love the fact that throughout the game, different people 
comment on his hair, right? So it's something that everybody knows about. And, and there's another character who has a very, very thick accent and, um, the game itself in his dialogue options, uh, spells everything like phonetically, like he sounds. So it's very, very difficult to read. And at first I was like, Oh God, I can't really read this. And, and sure enough, uh, the characters in the, in the game listening to him always comment on how they can't understand him. So like it got to the point where I didn't mind not knowing what he was saying because at first I was worried that I was missing something, you know, like a plot point or something. But you know, I was like, you know, I actually just feel like a character in the world. So that was really neat. So there's really neat character designs, both visually and then also from like a mechanic and a story perspective, some really neat things uh, being done. The actual continuing on about the visuals, the actual models for enemies and other races uh, are it was really creative uh, and really out there. Uh, so just the overall style of this game that that is the best way I can describe it is just it's out there and fun. So I love it from that perspective. So let's talk about some things that that really shine outside the story too. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is the combat system. Um, I liked it initially. At first, you were just Fred, and I did like uh, what it what it gives you. you there had there is a a a style of mana system, right? Where or ability point system, uh, where you have a pool um, of uh, of ability points, if you will, and so like every time you use a skill or a spell, it pulls from that, you know, it pulls from that, that mana pool. So like initially, uh, you know, Fred will have, we'll just say like five, uh, five of this, this, this form of mana. And, uh, each of his initial skills takes away one, right? So you've got, you can use five of them uh, until they're gone. But the cool thing is that using just the regular attack key gives you one back. So you are having to sort of sacrifice the turn by not doing a powerful attack or a powerful heal. But the benefit of just doing a normal attack, even though you're doing less damage, you're you're replenishing one of your ability points. So that was a really cool system and one that I, I wish other games would adopt because that because when you think about it that's really brilliant because a lot of times you almost feel punished if you have to just do your normal attack because you know for a fact that it's not as effective as your alternatives as your skills but you know whenever you run out of mana or you know adrenaline or ability then you're kind of handicapped and yes, I understand that that's a system in place to balance things, but there's also, I think, a lot of freedom in giving players another way to replenish those pools other than just items, right? Because you could almost play this game in like a uh, like a non-item fashion, right? So like a, a no-item run or something. And so there's already a mechanic built into the combat that allows you to replant, replenish 
uh, the pool that you need to use your, your bigger skills once you've depleted it. So that was really cool. I feel like the combat really opens up once you get more party members too. Uh, Cause like I said, I liked it early on and then I really, really, really enjoyed it as soon as I was able to get my second 30 party member, 30, uh, uh, my second and third party member. Um, because each of the characters are very distinct. And I think that's something that a lot of games don't get right. Each character has a role, but it's, it's, it's one that it's a role that is flexible enough that it doesn't feel pigeonholed, right? Because like Fred and this game really turns some things on his head because Fred, the main protagonist, the main character is honestly like your healer, right? So he gets the, he gets the very powerful heal skills right off the bat. So he's very versatile. He almost fills that role of your normal Jack of all trades character, which is sort of your, your typical, your typical main protagonist in an RPG, right? Like they can do a little bit of everything, but he does that. Plus he's like the main healer. So that was a nice sort of flip the script. Each character has an attack that uses bases damage off of a stat that they're, they're proficient in. So in my in my playthrough, Fred for me, um, I um, I put it, uh, I made him proficient in intelligence, and that's the thing. The uh, level up system and the upgrade system, the your stat increases when you level up is based on the equipment that you're wearing. So you can craft a piece of equipment that raises strength or your intelligence or your wisdom. Um, and you, you can equip one of those, right? So you get to control kind of what your character is proficient in. Uh, so my Fred was proficient in intelligence and he gets a couple of attacks throughout the game that are intelligence based attacks. He also has strength based attacks. So I could have easily made a Fred that was strength based and he wouldn't have been handicapped. So it's like the system's really work with each other. And that's really refreshing. That's really, that's really neat. The actual leveling up of skills was pretty cool too, because you, the way that you progress in your skill tree is by actually using the skills. Um, and I feel like a lot of times games where you, you progress through the skill tree just based on like, skill points earned or, or you're like buying them with some sort of currency, you're able to skirt around some skills that you just never use. Right. So you might upgrade to a skill and then just net literally never select it. And then you just continue on in the tree. And so then you bypass it and find a skill that you want. The way that this system works is that in order to progress, you have to use your most recent skill. So, I mean, you can use whatever skill you want, but it will only progress the tree when you're using your most recently unlocked skill. And what that does is it sort of forces you to be versatile, uh, to try out other, other things than just like your comfortable one skill. Cause it, I mean, it forced me to experiment and forced me to use some skills that like probably normally I'd be like, eh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I'll use it. 
Um, and you know, and so the thing is how you get to flesh out exactly how you want your character to be because each character has two or three different, uh, skill categories. And so, like I said, you're only unlocking skills as you use the latest one in those categories. So you get to sort of pick and choose how you want to build that character out. I think it was really neat going along with combat. This is to me, this is really brilliant, right? Like a lot of other, other RPGs, you have your world map, you know, that, that just shows the whole world. You're just running around on it. Uh, unlike early final fantasy games, um, on the world map, there are no, there, there's no combat. There's no enemies. And then once you go into like your local map, that is where your enemies, your random encounters will take place. What sets this apart is that there, there are random encounters, but there are a specific number of random encounters on each map. That may be three, that may be five. Um, and it will tell you in the UI, three encounters left, two encounters left, one, one encounter left. So that was really neat to be able to see, all right, I can sort of like clear this map. And as someone whose brain kind of works that way anyway, like, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to move on until I clear all of the side quests, or I don't want to move on until I clear all the enemies out of this, out of this area. I do that in a lot of other games. And this, this system really supports that and encourages that. And then what it does is it takes it a step further. And once you clear the map, a window will pop up that says, congrats, you've, you've cleared all the enemies. Would you like to replace the enemies for bonus experience? And you can then reset the encounter counter back to, you know, the beginning. So you'll either go back to three enemies on the map or five enemies on the map. And then as you defeat them this time, you can double your experience and it will prompt you each time if you would like to have the enemies on the map. And every time you come back to that area for the rest of the game, before you actually move around, it will ask you, do you want enemies on the map this time or not? Now, not only is this cool for leveling because you're getting double experience, but this is also cool for exploration. And I'll tell you why now. Uh, some games like Final Fantasy, they do eventually give you a way through an item to remove counters or to remove encounters, right? So that it kind of leaves you at, at freedom to explore. But a lot of times those items come later in the game or just not right at the beginning um, because they want you to experience all the content. What I really liked about Macabre is that it lets you experience the content and then gives you the option to not experience it anymore. So this specific system of asking you if you want to replace the enemies back on each individual map allows you to grind if you want for bonus experience, and then it allows you to not have enemies once you defeat the initial counter to not have any enemies anymore. And what that does for me is that that encourages me to track back, to go back, to, to go back and loot, loot small things on the map. Um, when you're running back 
from different places. When you're having to track back because of a quest, like you're in one town and you're having to track back to another or something, it does not scare me away from those areas because I know as soon as I hit there, is if I don't want enemies, I'm not going to get caught with 30 random encounters on my way back. So it's really neat and it gives you freedom and it, it allows you, it encourages you to move around. What this also does is once again, thinking about sort of like people who like to challenge themselves and once they defeat the game one way, they want to try to beat the game in another way. So I could see easily see people doing like low level runs in this title because you're able to, you know, fight those initial wave of enemies on each map and then never and then never fight again on those maps. So you're able to sort of get the minimum level possible and then not do any combat, you know, for the for the rest of the game until you until you get to boss things like that. So that that system to me is just really well thought out. And, and like I said, that each local map has its own counter and uh, an ability to clear the map and then turn off encounters. So it's like this really nice mix of random encounters, but not random encounters. I already kind of talked about the crafting. There is two types of crafting. You can craft all of your gear and then you can craft your food and items. Um, and it's a really nice system. Uh, what I really want to focus on is the looting because that's how you get the materials to craft is by looting. And I got to say, I am someone, especially playing older, um, like eight bit and 16 bit RPGs. I like to basically run around the areas spamming the select key, like trying to find secrets trying to find items hidden in barrels, hidden in clocks, in fireplaces, right? Does anybody else out there do the same thing? But this game rewards you for being that way because there likely if there is an, if there is a, an object on the screen, there's probably an item in it. And there's a lot of repeat items, right? There's a lot of mystery meats, a lot of scraps, but everything's usable and everything directly goes into crafting something. So nothing is useless. Nothing is wasted, but almost everything that you interact with has some sort of reward to it. And then you can always come back later to that area and loot it again. So I just really wanted to point that out because so many games place all these objects in the world, but then don't really reward you by trying it out. And that's the thing this game does. Like if it's the table, if it's the stack of wood, if it's the stack of stones, try it out because there's likely either some sort of loot or there's a funny little message that gives some flavor for the world. So there's always some sort of reward for trying it out. It's almost breath of the wildish in that way, right? 
So like no matter what you do, you're going to get some sort of reward, whether it's actually usable items or if it's just an interesting piece of lore. If we want to talk about conveniences that just really, really make sense, and we're talking about this with the with the enemy encounters that just really play into the hands of the player and really give you a a choice that makes a lot of sense. When you complete quests, say you've taken a quest from what I'll just call him Bill. And Bill lives in in town number one. And your quest takes you to this pirate's cave on the other side of the world. You slay a pirate, and then you got to come back to Bill in town number one. And almost every other classic RPG I've ever played that did not have fast travel in it, because a lot of the, I mean, look, I mean, the classic games, fast travel wasn't a thing, right? You just better walk back. That's the deal. You got to walk back. And guess what? You got to go through all these maps that have random encounters on it. And you got to go through a world map that has random encounters on it. Or even if the world map doesn't have random encounters on it, you just got to walk back and turn it into Bill. Then comes in this quest system. And it gives you a quest fast travel option that once you finish the quest, a message pops up letting you know fast travel option is in your quest log. You can go to your quest log, go to your compete, go to the quest, you know, that, that says that it's ready to complete and click return to quest giver. And then you immediately fast travel back to the quest giver. That is that that just like made me want to tear up the first time that I saw it because that that's just thinking about the player that is respecting the player's time. It's great. And, and the thing is, the thing is, the thing is, it's respecting the player even more because it's giving you the choice because you don't have to use it. Right. Because it would completely remove your freedom or remove your choice if you just immediately ported back, it immediately ported back to the quest giver. Because I got to tell you, when it popped up the first time and I didn't read it all the way, I was concerned to click OK because I was like, oh, no, I haven't looted. I haven't looted the area yet. I want to loot the area before I return the quest. And so I was like, oh, God, it's just going to port me back to the quest giver. But then it didn't because it was thinking about me. And that was really cool. That was a really cool moment whenever I was like, all right, I clicked OK. And then nothing happened. Nothing happened because I have to go to the quest log and then tell it port me back. So I was able to loot everything I wanted to then go to the quest log and port back to the quest giver. So it was thinking about me and thinking about, oh, wait, this boss, you know, this boss for this quest triggered before I could you know, look around the room and get any loot. So let me loot you. And then you can decide when you want to port back. And the thing is, it also rewards. If you want to take a bunch of quests at once, go out, finish them. And then you can individually port back to each quest giver. Fantastic mechanic. The, Music was really good. I asked I asked him about the music 
Um, it was not specifically composed for this game, but everything fits. Everything just really, really fits. Uh, and I love playing with the music. Um, the themes, the world map theme, the character themes, the, 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 the battle theme. It has this consistency, this internal consistency that crafts this really sort of moody, dark and somber feel that's very appropriate for the world. It's very appropriate for the world. I'm really, really liking the game. I'm almost done with it. Uh, the writing is funny at times. Um, it's it's serious when it needs to be, but it doesn't take itself too seriously. And that's like the the art style as a whole. Like I was saying, is like it's it's kind of wacky, but in this really endearing way, and it makes sense for you know for itself. And 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 the, and it deals with some dark stuff catastrophe and how people deal with it and how people treat other people. And, um, and so God, it's really good. I, like I said, you can take my, this deep dive with a grain of salt because I know the guy and I really like the guy, but I really think you should, you should give it a try. Um, especially for 99 cents. I mean, very low, you know, entry barrier here. Um, and I think it's only like seven to 10 hours long. So it, 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 you'll be able to plow through it. I'm able to play it on my, my MacBook. So it's a very low intensive game on a system. So you could put it on an older laptop and, and just play it when you can. Um, but yeah, it's fantastic. Made by single guy, super proud to have played it and glad that I could talk about it on the show. And thank you so much for listening to me rave about that. I can't wait to finish it. And, um, yeah, so that's going to be all of your deep dive for this week. And that's actually going to be all of your episode for this week. If you listen this far, thank you so much for your support. I appreciate it week after week after week. I'm getting more and more listeners every week. And it's just really, really exciting to me, uh, for you all to be here and to be a part of it. Remember you can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Vault RPG. I also try to keep up with my Facebook page. You can find me Vault, Vault RPG there. Uh, you can also find me in the Switch RPG Discord. That's discord.switchrpg.com. I'm a moderator on there. So if you see me around, be sure to hit me up. Once again, thank you for listening. Until next week, go game your hearts out, guys. I'll see you.